Awesome. I'm going to dive into this message here to, uh, this morning. I, I want to tell you that I, um, I, am, <laughs> I, I, I can't even begin to explain to you how, um, how, how important I believe it is right now for the church to be very clear about who we are. And the clarity for which, you know, I had a, uh, it was kind of like, you know, everybody jumped on the 2020 train before 2020 came, right? In the beginning of January, the end of December, before all this COVID stuff happened. And everybody was saying, you know, 2020 vision and a year of clarity. And I think I said and preached the same thing. And then we got into the middle of the year and everyone's like, yeah, where are those prophetic words at now? Pastor Dan, you know, like, what, what was that about? I actually believe it's absolutely true that in the last six, seven, eight months have been moment after moment after moment where it's forced us as the church to be clear with ourselves about who we are and to be clear with the world around us who Jesus is. I still believe that 2020 was destined to be a year where we would have perfect pitch. We would have perfect vision. We would have perfect clarity into the heart of God for this moment. It, there's something about trying times that makes us focus, that makes us be a little sharper, a little more specific. It's kind of like the days of playing games or the days of playing church are over. It, you know, it's like bottom of the ninth. It's not time to be like, I'm going to try a new swing. Right? Or all we need is a base hit. And, well, I think I'm just going to try and knock it out of the park. No, let's be clear about who we are and what God's called us to be and do in this hour. Last week, I jazzed some of you up. Some of you were like, absolutely, Pastor Dan, that's exactly what we need to hear. But I want to tell you this. I, 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 I wholeheartedly believe that the church, sometimes people are uncomfortable with me mixing the church with some of the events that are happening today. Guys, we can't come to church and ignore what's happening in our nation. Do you hear me? We can't come here and act like the streets aren't, you know, literally burning. We can't act like there's not some of the worst political infighting and hatred amongst people we've ever seen. We can't act like we're not more divided as a nation than ever before. And I'm not even here to tell you whose fault it is. I think it's all their faults. I think it's our fault because I think the church has participated in the nonsense. And had we led the way in peace and with grace and love and mercy for one another, I don't think we'd be in the mess that we're in, but that's a whole nother sermon. I wanna tell you this morning that I will continue week after week after week to bring to you what I feel like is God's heart for this moment. And I'm not going to ignore what's happening in the earth just to talk about some ancient text and not apply it to right now. Do you hear me? Because most of you, your, your news feeds are flooded. Our news feeds are flooded. Our social media is flooded. People aren't just putting, you know, took a holiday in Miami Beach this weekend. Here's my pictures. That's not what our news feeds are flooded with. That's not what our social media feeds are flooded with. That's not what Instagram stories is flooded with. You get one of those every now and then, and we say, must be nice. But it's flooded with what? Opinions, hatred, division, name-calling. Come on, accusations. Lines drawn in the sand. 
And we've lost something, something that is scriptural, something that is biblical, something that is actually vital to our existence, not just as people of faith, but just as people, period. We've lost something. We've lost conversation. We can't have a conversation anymore. If I say one wrong sentence in a message, some people's mentality is, I will never go back to that church. I preach 30 minutes a week on Sunday, 20 minutes or 25 or 30 minutes on Wednesday, an hour a week for I've, I've, I've done every Sunday service since COVID started. That is a whole lot of talking. And we can find, I'm using this as an example. It's not a poor me. It's okay. You can take one sentence that you don't like or I don't like, and we can reject everything else. One of my favorite people on earth, I'm not going to say her name, but she, uh, she lives out in California and she recently posted something on her Facebook page in regards to the Supreme Court justice that died. And she was not saying this woman was, you know, perfect. She was not saying that every vote she made was Christian or wonderful or valuable because, of course, she was on the pro-choice side of abortion. And I understand people's passion behind that. I'm passionate about it, too. She was just simply saying that for some of the rights that you have as women in this room right now, she voted for in the Supreme Court, like basic rights. She really was to women's rights what Thurgood Marshall was to civil rights. And you can hate 80% of what she did and said, but if 20% of it was valuable, can we value that 20%? Or do we have to throw it away because we don't agree with the 80%? Because if you're looking for somebody you agree 100% of the time with, you don't even agree with you 100% of the time. Come on. I argue with myself. I look myself in the mirror and say, don't you do this today? Don't you do this today, Dan? I'll say, chill out. I'm not going to. Yes, you are. Come on. And you can feel passionately and strongly against where somebody stands or against what somebody does or against the way somebody lives, and you might be right. You can point to the scripture, and you can, you know, just overwhelmingly have evidence against somebody's choice, somebody's life, somebody's decisions, somebody's whatever. But I promise you, if you wanted to, you could actually find value somewhere in that person's life. Come on, I don't actually believe that God creates people that have no value. Like literally nothing is salvageable in this human being. And what I found this was this. In this post, as you went down, there were over 100 comments. I will tell on myself, I decided just to do something that I used to do when I was five. But I, as I read the comments, it was... It's very simple. This, this leader in the church that put this, she said, 
I don't agree with 80% of what she did and said, but I do value these things that she fought for. And I believe that we should be able to honor the good in people even when there's bad. That's what she said. People then went on to say that this Supreme Court justice who's passed away, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, these are not crazy people, even though I think they're crazy based on this, that this woman is burning in hell, that she's demonic, and that anyone that can value anything she ever did is demonic too. What is it? Thank you. That's what I started to do. Every comment that was dumb on that feed, I went, this is done. This is dumb. Thank you. You just gave me permission. I feel better about myself now. I was going to tell myself, this is dumber. This is the dumbest thing so far. This is smart. This is smart. This, this one is really dumb. I literally just was like, I had one of those days where I'm like, I'm just going to let her rip. And I didn't, I'm telling on myself it was wrong, but I just started going down the line. I wasn't calling people dumb, but I sure as heck was calling what they were saying dumb. Just dumb stuff. And then quoting scriptures, those who call evil good, read the rest of the scripture. Like what? You're talking to a woman who put this on her Facebook page, who is literally transformed marriages and culture within the church and how we do relationship. Her and her husband's books are read all over the face of the earth and you're calling her demonic because she valued one or two or five things that some woman who's now passed away did in her lifetime? Why? We, this is what I, this is what, and then I, I, she texted me, I was texting her back and forth and this is what we kind of concluded. She said, we're not even allowed to start the conversation anymore. People don't even want to have the conversation. If you have an R and I have a D on my voter registration card, or if you're an atheist or you're a Baptist and I'm, I'm spirit-filled, or if you're a meat eater and I'm a vegetarian or vegan, or on and on and on, do you see how many ways we divide our culture up into these groups of people? You can't even have a conversation. Most people don't even want to have the conversation. If somebody's vegan and they feel strongly about doing that for their life and they are against the cruelty of animals, somebody eats meat, they look at you like you are literally, you know, killing puppies in the backyard. And then someone who eats meat looks at somebody vegan going, you got to be crazy to do that. They're nutty. What? See how silly this is. We don't even want to have the conversation. And what I found out was this. If we will have the conversation, and I'm going to show you this in the scriptures. If we will actually just have the conversation, and I'm going to teach you how to do it because I'm learning myself. You're going to find out that the person that you or I labeled as evil because of what they believe or how they vote or you know, something they've said or done, you're going to find out in a conversation that maybe their motives or maybe the reason that they do what they do is not as evil as you think. And you're going to walk away from that table and I'm going to walk away from that table going, you know what? I don't agree. But she's a pretty nice lady. He's not a bad guy. I don't agree with how they think that we're going to fix this or fix that, but they're 
like their reasoning behind why they believe what they believe, I can identify with. I'm going to do something crazy here in a moment. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh-oh. Let's read some scripture first. <laughs> My dad's like, oh, okay. It's not that crazy. I mean, it's crazy in church, but it's not crazy for us. I mean, relatively speaking, nothing's really crazy here. <laughs> Amos 5 says this. I want you to hear this. And I'm not going to be long today, but I want you to hear this. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left. You know what? I'm going to save this for Wednesday night. This is some good stuff. I'm going to piggyback off of this. Let's go. Let's go to, uh, this is good though. Let's go to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you read this in another translation, it says this. It's not on your screen. Just you can listen to me. Instead of cheap talk, your mouth is now a fountain of grace, giving encouragement and inspiration to everyone within earshot. Come on, that is actually a commandment from the Lord of how we should live our life. Instead of cheap talk, that our mouth is like an ever-flowing fountain of grace, giving encouragement and inspiration for anyone within earshot of us. You want to raise your stature in the earth, become a fountain of grace full of encouragement and inspiration for the people around you. Everybody wants to be around somebody who is encouraging and inspiring. It's pretty easy to do when somebody thinks like you, believes like you, dresses like you, acts like you, hangs out with the type of people like you, same skin color as you, same cultural background as you and me, et cetera, et cetera. But then we get around somebody different who looks different, acts different, believes different, votes different, maybe isn't even of a different faith. And all of a sudden, we're not so apt to give encouragement and inspiration. I can't encourage them to live that way. You're not. You're being nice. I'm just being nice and kind. The church is so afraid to compromise that we won't even have a conversation. Or, oh, I'm getting ready to drop one. Or we're so obsessed with conversion that we won't have a conversation. If you approach conversation without the goal of compromise or conversion, you and I are going to find out we're going to get somewhere. It may not be converting them to our thinking pattern. It may not be converting somebody to acting like you, voting like you, eating like you, loving like you, having faith like you, whatever it may be, you may not convert them. And you may not even reach a compromise. But in a conversation, the idea is that you walk away from it, knowing a little more about their heart and seeing what's valuable in them and them knowing a little bit more about your heart and seeing what's valuable in you. And that, my friends, is the beginning. It is the ground floor to the cure for our nation and our world. Having a conversation where I can stop and see value in you and you can see value in me. I have two more scriptures I'm going to read that are going to blow your mind, but I want to do a demonstration. This is the crazy thing. I need you to be comfortable with saying this publicly. And I also need you to be kind and listen to my instructions. I'm going to ask for two volunteers. The first volunteer I need is 
I can't believe I'm doing this in church. Y'all at home ready for this? I need... a registered Democrat. Come on, Sway Win. Give Sway Win a hand. She's even got blue pants on. <laughs> Come up over here. I'll help you up. You're going to have to fight your way through this curtain. All right, we're going to do something. You stay on this side. Isn't it fun up here? It's fun up here, right? Don't show them my notes. Just say Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. All right, I'm going to ask for something crazy. And if you're wearing red, it's going to really be crazy here. I need a registered Republican. Oh, Rico, we're going to do a husband. I'm sorry, ma'am, but this is her husband. Rico, come on up. And are you, are you wearing a red mask? Oh, my gosh. This is perfect. Oh, boy. What does your house look like? Right over here, over here. This, I, folks, I did not set this up. I did know that they have different letters on their voter registration cards, but I did not know they were going to volunteer. Can you all see this here? All right. We're going to start with you, Sewin. Let me show you how easy it is to find value in a conversation if you're looking for it. You ready? You all scared? Neither am I. Sway so win. Why, without telling me why him and his party are wrong, and this does not mean that they vote for party line every time. You both are thinkers, right? But you lean one way or the other traditionally, right? Why, why for you in a sentence or two, is it valuable for you to have a D at the end of your voter registration card? I believe in social justice. Okay, expand a little bit further about social justice. So if I'm with her, I'm going to say, what kind of justice is important to you, Sway Wen? Now we're having a conversation. Okay. I believe in equality among races and that we all live together. And I want everybody to have the same opportunity in this country. Huh. Wait. You evil Republican conservative right-wing nut job. I'd like to ask you a question. Do you think equality is a good thing? Yes, I do. Do you think that... Everyone should have the same opportunity. Yes, I do. Do you think that it's valuable that you can see value in her heart to see those things in her country? Yes. You may not necessarily agree she's with the right party to get those things done, but you can see her heart in wanting those things to happen. Yes. Okay. Rico, why do you have an R? Does that R stand for racism? <laughs> why do you have an R after your voter registration card? I think a lot of it has to do with my upbringing and the fact that I feel like um, the, 
the economic side and the business side of, of how we think and how we conduct ourselves. It, I'm more uh, left or right, <laughs> right leaning in that area, but socially I'm very much in the middle. So what about the economic side of it from your childhood makes you lean right? So I'm having a conversation, right? I'm not attacking, I'm not putting labels, I'm not accusing, I'm seeking to understand because I am assuming as a child of God, whether he's a believer or not, that he has value. And so now in the conversation, I'm not trying to convince him, I'm looking for the gold. I'm a treasure seeker. If you want to have a conversation and be a treasure seeker, you're going to have real success in conversations, you and I. So I'm, he doesn't even know necessarily maybe how to articulate the gold I'm looking for, but I'm going to get it out of him because sitting on the other side, even though I know we're diametrically opposed in, in the way that the world wants to paint it, I want to find out why. And he, he didn't really quite give me it yet, so I'm going to dig a little deeper. So tell me, because of your childhood, why the economic part of it is important. Um, my family came here from Cuba and um, they started with nothing. And so I learned from that that um, we should work hard to get uh, the goals that we want and that it shouldn't be so much coming from the government, but from ourselves. And then... <clears throat> and I also believe that um, in a capitalistic um, uh, culture, that we can be successful through our hard work. Hmm. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think people that believe in hard work is a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Do you think people should be lazy? No, not at all. But do you have a D after your name? You're supposed to reward laziness. I'm socially, uh, no, I'm physically conservative. And I... So we agree on that. We're what? Wait! This is turning into marriage counseling. I need to get paid. This is $100 an hour. You guys are going to go home so in, more in love than ever before. Yes. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, we, when we got married, we were always on different sides um, politically, but that didn't stop us. And I'm not going to let politics stop my love for people. And I have a lot of friends who are on the other aisle, and I have never put them down or being different from me because politics aside, the most important person is God and how we treat each other. So I just encourage people, no matter what your politics are, you got to put that aside and just get along and love people. But as I said, I have friends on the other side and I love them just as much as friends of my tribe. So again, I want people to feel that way about me and that um, if I have a D on my name, it doesn't mean I'm less godly. And I've had people tell me that. Oh, you're not a Christian if you have a D. And that, I feel that's really sad. Come on. Do you see how beautiful? Thank you, guys. Will you make sure she, she's all right going down? Let's just give them a hand. Will you do that? Thank you. What a beautiful example and point here that I'm trying to make. And I want to read this other scripture to you because you're going to see how this is actually biblical, what we're doing here today. Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
Another version says this, season your conversation with grace for this remains the most attractive and appropriate option to respond in every situation. See, grace will move you to, to seek understanding and grace will clear the fog long enough for you to see the value even if in the case of, of what I was talking about earlier, even if you think 80% is wrong, but 20% is right, grace will give you the patience and the sight to be able to clear away the 80% to see the 20%. How many of you know if you go searching for gems or you go searching for gold or you go searching for anything of value, you got to dig through some stuff to get to the, that which is valuable, but you got to believe there's something of value there in order to even make the effort to get there. But if we start looking at one another, even if we're diametrically opposed, you can't imagine yourself agreeing with anything or anybody. Can you have, can I have a conversation with somebody, look them in the eyes and find out what is valuable about them? Last scripture, James 3.13. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here's another version that love this. Humility advertises wisdom. Oh my, you can be the wisest, smartest, whatever person on the face of the earth, but if you don't have humility, no one will be able to see it, receive it, hear it. It will have zero effect. But the minute you combine wisdom, godly wisdom with humility, humility will be like a, a banner. It will be like a billboard for the wisdom you have. People will pour in to talk to you and to hear you if you can approach conversation and relationship in one another from a humble place. I'm going to finish that. It shows in the quality of your conversation and actions. This distinguishes you with the reputation of someone who is acquainted with wisdom and skilled in understanding. We actually, conversation for many of us is a learned skill. And that skill is this, the skill of understanding. Seeking to understand, not seeking to find compromise, not seeking to convert, seeking to understand. And if you make the effort to seek to understand, I promise you there isn't a person on earth that I could put in front of you that you wouldn't find something valuable about. And when we begin to see each other and we begin to value one another and we begin to find those things that are valuable, we begin to build bridges. And when we begin to build bridges, we begin to change the culture and the cycle of division in our faith, in our nation, in our world, in, in everything that's going on on the earth right now. We begin to be the very change that we so desperately need. The title of this message is The Cure is a Conversation. And I believe that truly, if we can begin to Use this godly example to begin to have conversations and have faith through grace that every person that sits in front of us has value and we can seek to understand and find that value that will begin to cure and heal the heart of this nation. This is a good message before our election. Amen. One more thing. And I'm going to throw this out there. This is a friendly tidbit. And I'll end. The less conversations that common people like you and I have, the more power we put in the hands of the few. If they can keep us from talking, and let me tell you this, 
the entire political system on both sides and all the sides in between, one of their main goals is to get you and I, if we're, if we're opposed, to not talk and have a conversation. The less conversations we have, the more of a guaranteed segmented voting block we become. And we shift the power from the people to the power of a few. The more conversations that we're able to have, where we're not seeking to convert, we're not seeking to find compromise, we're just seeking to understand and find value in one another, the more conversations we have, we return the power from the few to the people. Anything or anybody that convinces you that a conversation with somebody else is of no value or will amount to nothing or you're wasting your time is trying to take power out of your hands and bring it to themselves. If I had you four as my friends and I started problems with all four of you with each other, the last thing I want you to do is figure me out have a conversation with each other. And the master deceiver, the enemy himself, Satan, that spirit comes to divide and to make you and I think that a conversation has no value and that a person who thinks differently than us has no value, that they're evil, that they're demonic, that they, they're not worth a conversation. The minute we change that, we begin to shift and tell that spirit to go away. We take back the authority and power that God gave us to sit down and have a simple, kind, gold-seeking, treasure-hunting conversation with another human being that might think, look, and act different than us. And when we do that, we will be the healing balm of Gilead that Amos talks about that I'm going to talk about Wednesday night. We'll begin to pour that out on our city, on our state, on our nation, and people will seek us out for encouragement and inspiration instead of positioning ourselves on a side of a fence where we don't have access to the people that desperately need to hear a voice of hope in this hour. It's a simply a conversation. Now go have them. I love you guys. Join us live Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We'll see you soon. God bless.